Today on the Ward Preacher Podcast, why Jesus doesn't respond well to sign requests, the signs that really matter, and the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Ward Preacher Podcast. All right. Uh, for today's reading, we are going to Matthew 16 and 17, Mark chapters 8 and 9, and Luke 9. Uh, we're mainly focusing on the Matthew account. Um, let's uh, go ahead and get started. The first verses in Matthew chapter 16. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas." And he left them and departed. Uh, that's verses 1 through 4 in Matthew 16. Now, of course, um, there are a lot of people who say that they would change their ways if only they received a sign. But the problem with that is there are a lot of people who have received signs and have not changed their ways. When we consider the biblical account of uh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and ten plagues were not enough signs to convince him to let the people of Israel go. Still at the end of that, Pharaoh and his uh, counselors reasoned with one another, saying, why have we let Israel go from serving us? And I always thought, like, I can think of ten good reasons. Um but apparently he couldn't think of any and pursued after them, of course, to his peril uh, in the Red Sea. Uh, the prophet Balaam uh, received uh, counsel from his donkey that talked to him in uh, Numbers, kind of a fascinating story in the Old Testament. In the end, though, uh, he ended up trying to lead the children of Israel astray teaching the enemies of Israel that this would be the way to break them. Uh, it, I mean, the sign was not enough to get him to change his ways. Uh, of course, in the Book of Mormon, Laman and Lemuel is a popular example who uh, were visited by angels and still were unable to change their ways. This is not to say that people who... Uh, see signs, never believe, um, it can make a difference. When we think of the example of Saul, uh, who on the road to Damascus saw Jesus and would later become Paul the Apostle, uh, a life-changing event based on a sign. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, you have the example of Gideon, who wanted to be certain 
that he was doing the right thing in leading Israel against the Midianites. And so he prayed about his fleece, that it would be either wet or dry, uh, contrasting with the surrounding area uh, in the morning. And he received those signs and uh, did what he was supposed to do. Joseph Smith, another example, a modern prophet, who saw um, a miraculous vision and did what he was supposed to do. So it's not that signs themselves are the source of, of ill or of apostasy or unbelief. God speaks as freely as he is able. Uh, and it's on the conditions that we agreed upon before the world was. Uh, if we are very careful, we should be able to recognize that just as Jesus was saying, there are signs of the times, signs all around us. People uh, around us could act as messengers of God without even realizing it themselves. There's an example of this in the New Testament. In John chapter 11, if you look at, at around verse 49, um, Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, is talking about, and of course he was in cahoots with the others trying to kill Jesus. And so he gave a statement about how one man would give his life for his nation. Um, and without even realizing it, he had given a prophecy telling the truth about exactly what Jesus would be doing. Um, and that's, it, as I mentioned, described at the end of John 11. We signed up for this plan in which we would lose our memory of our former life um, because a world that provides the illusion that there are no perfect consequences, that there are potentially unresolved injustices, that's what gives our choices meaning. If in spite of that, in spite of those appearances, we still embrace justice, we still demand of ourselves right behavior and adherence to the commandments of God, well, that makes a lot more difference than if we knew we would be struck down the moment we did something wrong. Uh, so the signs that we receive certainly have to be limited. Uh, they have to be a little bit difficult to perceive. Um, and, and as I was mentioning before, the other thing is there are a lot of faithful people who receive spiritual witnesses even without, with or without any of those signs, and they don't do everything they should. These have included notable people like Moses being reprimanded by God, Peter the Apostle being reprimanded by Jesus. Of course, other examples, famously like King David, who tried to do, who was chosen because the Lord looked on his heart, and he tried to do things right until the matter of Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. We, a lot of us, particularly those who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, will, if we look at our lives, many of us consider you know, having received spiritual witness. You hear that every fast Sunday, people that know uh, through spiritual witness that 
that Jesus is real, that their prayers are answered. They receive signs and they recognize them for what they are. Maybe not some dramatic thing, feeding thousands or raising the dead, but things in our lives that we know come from God. And still, we don't do everything we're supposed to do. I think that uh, kind of when we're thinking about signs brings us to our next point. Let's actually go into um, a little bit about revelation, uh, about the signs that we do receive and the signs that count. Um, here's the next passage that I'd like to go over. It's Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. And it reads, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So in this passage, um, we have a, a kind of a play on words. Uh, Jesus calls Peter the rock, upon this rock, Simon Peter. Um, and of course, with many things that Jesus taught, there's more than one right answer. There's multiple meanings in here. One of them is like the literal obvious uh, meaning. Peter would literally hold the keys of the kingdom. He would lead the apostles and guide the church of Jesus Christ after the resurrection of Jesus, after he had departed. Another key element when we're looking at the this upon this rock, the subject above this that he talks about, is that his father, or the rather, that flesh and blood hath not revealed the truth to Peter, but his father who is in heaven. This is a process called revelation. This is a fundamental aspect that God doesn't just let people kind of muddle through it. He provides actual guidance to men so that they can be the church of Jesus Christ. God has always organized groups of faithful people by speaking to holy men, uh, emphasizing their presiding authority. The earliest patriarchs, Adam, Seth, Enos, Canaan, etc., uh, they were fathers who, through divine guidance, gave wisdom and truth to their families. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob you know, after the flood, there weren't a lot of people there that were still doing everything that they needed. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob represented a family that God could continue this patriarchal model with. 
that they were holy men that could give truth to those around them. Um, of course, later when the Hebrews became far more numerous, it was a different kind of organization. Moses and other prophets received the word of the Lord, um, and uh, they arose from various tribes to judge Israel and provide that same divine guidance. And uh, of course, after the people of Israel have become largely apostate, dividing into numerous sects and having most of the tribes get scattered and lost, uh, Jesus established a new model, an apostolic model, whereby divine, uh, divinely appointed and called men, similar as he had done with prophets, would be organized together and would be traveling witnesses to go throughout the world bringing the truth of Jesus. This is the way it works today as well. Um, that doesn't mean personal revelation is unimportant. Uh, though Jesus was with Peter frequently, Jesus pointed out in these verses that Peter had received his witness not from him, but from his Father who is in heaven. The ability of people to perceive spiritual truth is similar or could be compared to any of our other physical senses. It helps us perceive the truth. It can lead us to recognize uh, correct sources of divine revelation. For example, prophets, apostles, scriptures, or even other manifestations. People like Joseph were guided in dreams. Uh, there have been visions, other spiritual promptings. The disciples on the road to Emmaus pointed out the Spirit caused their hearts to burn within them as Jesus unfolded the scriptures to them. All of these are numerous ways in which God communicates directly with people. Um, it is important to note with this personal revelation, this does not replace apostles and prophets and scriptures. That's a lesson that was learned by Korah in Numbers 16, who said, you know, all the congregation is holy. We're all holy. So we don't really need Moses lifting himself up above everyone. Now, that's obviously not how it works. How it ended for, for Korah was the earth opened up and swallowed him uh, as a message that God said, well, I will speak to you, but sometimes it'll be just to let you know to follow the prophet. Maybe that's a good lesson. Um, so it's, it is important to realize our personal revelation should not um, conflict with what comes from God's prophets and apostles. And if it if it does, we should follow the prophets and apostles. All right, which moves to our next section, the Mount of Transfiguration. Very curious set of verses. Let's go ahead and read these. This is the beginning of Matthew chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. 
And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. So we have several characters that appear here in this Mount of Transfiguration experience. First, the mysterious one, Elias. Um, there are subsequent verses in Matthew chapter 17 where the name Elias is given to John the Baptist by Jesus himself. Um, but that is not to whom this Elias was referring at the beginning of the chapter. It's also worth noting that other places in modern scripture use the term Elias as a restorer or a forerunner, a preparer, in context of other people, such as uh, John the Revelator and even Noah are, are mentioned in this way in the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, in this vision, Elias is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Elijah. This is the prophet from First and Second Kings, who had something in common with Moses that we'll get to in a moment. First, there are connections that occur between when God redispenses his gospel. Whenever there's a new dispensation, there tends to be some link to what happened last. It is important to note the dispensation that they were in, they'd lost a lot of stuff. They were in a state of near total apostasy. You had large sects of Jews where you had like the Pharisees who were counting their steps on the Sabbath day and, and similar nonsense to the Sadducees who didn't think that the resurrection was legitimate because it wasn't in the Torah uh, explicitly and other nonsense. And so the people in positions of religious authority during those days had rejected John the Baptist and ultimately Jesus. So how were they going to connect to the previous dispensation? Let's look at some of the patterns of how it had happened before. Enoch walked with God and tried to establish an understanding of what God had given to Adam with the rest of humanity. Noah's grandfather was with him until the year of the flood. He died the year of the flood. Abraham received the blessings of Melchizedek, the great high priest. Uh, Moses received blessings and counsel from the priest of Midian, his father-in-law Jethro. Uh, there was a connection to those prophets who were there before. Uh, and, of course, Peter, James, and John, who were there on the Mount of Transfiguration, 
they received a vision that connected them to Moses and Elijah, two from the previous dispensation who had the unique similarity that they had never tasted of death. Moses uh, just disappeared at the end of uh, at, at the end of uh, the books of Moses. And uh, of course, Elijah was taken in a chariot of fire. He wasn't, he didn't die. He was taken to heaven. They had this unique role that they needed to fulfill. And this was a part of it so that they could relay things that would be lost to those who needed it later. That pattern is critically important, obviously, in the fullness of times after the great apostasy when connections to every previous dispensation are necessary for the restoration of all covenant and power preparatory to the coming of the Son of God himself. All people should be looking for ways to connect to things that have gone before. The need to connect is a central theme of the Mount of Transfiguration experience, to connect to those who have gone before, that the stuff that happened before us matters, and that there are relationships with many people throughout time that can help us understand God. When we think about how we should connect, obviously it should include things like prayer, covenants, scriptures, temples. Uh, it's not limited to that. We should be seeking ways that we can personally take advantage of these connections that God is so desperately trying to dispense to his children to ensure that we have. And I think that this is kind of the, the whole crux of the matter, that Jesus isn't really there to give signs on demand, that we should be seeking opportunities to connect to him that we should offer the signs, that we should have a careful inspection of people and things around us so that we can recognize that God is not as distant as he may sometimes seem. We have the ability, if we are diligent and if we have faith, to connect to the very power that forged the world. Next week, we will be covering Easter. Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about conference, about what the prophet had to say, too. I'm Brett Jensen. This is the Word Preacher Podcast. And as always, fight on. Fight on.